It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Coming to you live from the Billy C. Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Caliger, and it's time for the Billy C. Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you listen, whenever you watch it, I hope you're doing okay. Today's show is being brought to you in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, an Italian restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out the website, www.salsneighborhood.com. Pizzeria.com or give my man a call 912-268-2328 912-268-2328 find out why I go all the way to St. Simon's to get a uh, authentic Italian meal today's show is also being brought to us in part by my book Tom Molino from bondage the baddest man on a planet is av- is available right now where all good books are sold and you can get a copy of this book while you're watching or listening to the show just uh, visit uh, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting this guy's story told. Uh, it's a great read. It's a quick read. So uh, get yourself a copy today. And don't forget, uh, because of my own uh, stupidity, we got a special going on uh, only till the end of the month. And the end of the month is pretty quick, uh, fastly approaching. So. If you uh, email me, Billy at Talkin' Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G dot com, uh, I'll send you a book. As long as you're in the United States, anywhere in the U.S., uh, for 20 bucks, and I'll sign it, too. Uh, so you only got about a week or so uh, left on that deal. But uh, anyway, um, coming up a little bit later, we got Dax Khan scheduled to join us. Uh, he will uh, be giving us his thoughts on the uh, World Boxing Super Series that took place we have uh, some news to talk about and uh, a bunch of fight results. I was ringside for the HBO event uh, on uh, on Saturday up at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino uh, in Verona, New York. What a great facility uh, that is. And if you haven't seen uh, a fight up there, if you haven't visited uh, the Turning Stone, um, you should uh, definitely put it on uh, uh, your uh, schedule. Uh, it's a it's a great place to uh, w- not only watch fights but uh, to visit. Beautiful, uh, beautiful uh, arena there, and and the facility itself, the food and all the restaurants are good, and uh, and and of course you know I I, I know that right, and uh, I, I tell you the the grounds are really nice. I, I'll be honest, when the Turning Stone first opened like twenty five years ago, may, maybe even longer now, um, I said I'd never go back there. It was just the atmosphere just wasn't. You know, I don't like atmospheres where it's depressing, you know, where uh, uh, it looks like people are gambling their last uh, 10 bucks, you know, and, and then all depressed that they lost it. 
but it's totally changed. I mean, it's up upscale. Uh, everything is is great. The people are fantastic. Uh, definitely check it out. So uh, anyway, I'll be getting to the uh, fight results in a minute. Uh, but joining me right now from St. Simon's Island in Georgia uh, is, uh, like according to his uh, new uh, sign, uh, the man, the myth, the legend himself, all in his own mind, is my man Sal Rocky <laughs> Senecola. Good morning, Sal. How you doing? Good morning. I found a new desktop. Actually, uh, it's not new. No, nah, I mean, hey, listen, we all know it's not new. We know somebody made it up for you. If if I know you correctly, you probably you probably had it made yourself, you bastard. You no, know, no, so. no. It was a gift from Kayla and her son. They uh, they gave it to me. Oh, nice. Well, uh, yeah, you know, nice. I guess that was, I, I guess that wasn't uh, that wasn't fair of me to be so harsh on you, Sal. Uh, yeah, you know, I I can't make this stuff up. I I didn't make it up myself, and you know, she she also she also. Bought me, bought me this cup, and you know, to follow your introduction, I used to, you know, right. But well, I tell I'll, you, that this, you know, I, I almost called you just to vent this weekend because oh, uh, it should have. Well, I was venting too. Well, I, I was uh, no, you were. I, I didn't want you to prevent my venting. Okay, but uh, uh, you know, I, I, I had bought this old truck, you know, and. Uh, I, you know, I only need to run back and store, back and forth to the. I'm not going to mention them because they don't pay us, but back and back and forth to, you know, like a home, uh, uh, a home place where you get uh, construction supplies. You know, doing some fixing up around the around the old homestead, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, you know, rather than just go buy a uh, a truck, you know, a, a good one. <laughs> I had this, I had this uh, uh, illusion that, uh, or, or it's become a delusion, but uh, that I wanted to drive a, an old truck and have it restored and stuff. So it would be a little cool because it's not like I have to use this vehicle all the time. Well, first thing, I had to replace a heater core. Now, I'm not mechanically inclined, Sal, right. but I replaced this heater core. And, right. uh, you know, I, I put it in. I, I start the truck up. No leaks. Everything's great. You you right. think it's a home run? Sure. Eh, wrong. Not a truck <laughs> won't run right. I mean, it's like just not idling. And I'm like, what the hell? It had, should have nothing to do with that. I don't know if it was a coincidence. If I ruined something when I had to rip that thing out, I I don't know, man. Now I'm just second guessing. Guessing maybe I should have just went and bought a uh, a much later model than uh, than a thirty yeah, that, year you old know truck. You get they have. Uh... <laughs> you know, this is so funny. Up in Jersey, New York, ladies and gentlemen, we know how cold it gets during the winter. I used to have an, uh, you know, when I was working for uh, an insurance company, very popular. I think it was Northwestern Mutual Life. I loved it. And uh, and I was one of their financial advisors. You know, I had an, I had an Audi, an old Audi. And uh, this thing was, it was a machine I couldn't get rid of. It had like 250,000 miles on it. But it also had no heater coil or whatever, and it got so cold in the winter. I actually I went to like a truck stop. You could get these little ceramic heaters for your car to plug into your lighter. I said, "Man, I could even fry an egg on this thing." Anyway, go go look at a ceramic heater. You could plug into your lighter. No, Might you help. weren't listening. I fixed the, a little heat. I fixed the heater. You the heater the core. Heater. Listen, the heater core. And we're talking auto repair here with Billy C. But the yeah, heater core is a is a really hard pain in the ass kind of a job for any car, but but yeah. back in in 1985 
when they built this truck, um, it, it wasn't as bad as some of them. I mean, sometimes you got to take the fender off. You got to do all this crazy stuff. I didn't have to do that. It was still a, an all-day event. Uh, oh, yeah. but, but I put it all back together, and, and I, you know, I started up the truck, and it wouldn't idle. You know, which, it, I mean, this, this thing, you turn the key, you didn't even have to hit the gas or anything. You turn the key, and it just started right up. It purred like a kitten. Now it's purring like, uh, <laughs> it's, well, let me just say this. It's, not, it's roaring it, like a lion. Yeah, it's no kitten, I'll tell you that. But anyway, let's get to some uh, boxing talk. Uh, this okay. past weekend, I was, had the luxury of being ringside uh, at the Turning Stone for the HBO uh, fight. And uh, uh, in the featherweight division, Alberto Machado improved to 19-0 and with 16 knockouts when he scored an eighth-round knockout over Jezreel Corrales, uh, who loses the second time in his career. He's now 22-2 and uh, with eight knockouts. Uh, Machado uh, claimed the veg- regular old uh, yeah. Super featherweight yeah. title, uh, and, and that was because it was considered vacant. And the reason why it was vacant was because of one of your pet peeves, Sal. Um, yeah. Jezreel Corrales did not make weight. He came in three and a half pounds or three and a quarter pounds uh, over, and uh, he ultimately lost uh, that title on the scale, which gave uh, Machado the opportunity to win it. It didn't look like that was going to happen. Um, you no, know, as I was not. watching the fight, uh, Corrales was dominating the fight uh, big time. As a matter of fact, in the fifth round, he dropped Machado, uh, and yes. I thought it was almost over at that point. Uh, but then uh, in the uh, eighth round, uh, Machado, it was actually the seventh round that uh, Machado uh, uh, really hurt uh, Corrales. And almost had him down. As a matter of fact, uh, you could have uh, you could have said that that the ropes had kept him up at one point, uh, and Machado had come on in the previous round too. After he was uh, dropped in in the uh, fifth on my scorecard, which I'm looking at now that I was scoring ringside, I had uh, uh, given Machado the sixth and seventh round, and then uh, in the eighth round he landed a crushing shot that uh, knocked out Corrales. A lot of people ringside thought. That the referee, uh, who uh, Mark Nelson, uh, who I think is one of the worst referees that have ever uh, been issued a uh, uh, referee's license, um, stopped the fight. And uh, people were going crazy. The official time was two minutes and 15 seconds. But to tell you the truth, they had to help Machado uh, to his uh, to his corner. And he was out on his feet. He was in some trouble. Did you get to see the fight? And what was your thoughts? Oh, yeah, I saw the whole fight. And uh, I'll tell you, as you said, Corrales was dominant throughout the fight up until maybe that uh, uh, sixth or, or seventh round when, when he got hurt. Um, but uh, he he won the majority of the rounds. I thought he was going to come away with the victory. Uh, I, I I think that uh, um, it was a good fight. But, uh, yeah, he, when he came up with that left hook, I think it was. And these were both southpaws, weren't they? Yeah, I think they were southpaws. Yeah, and you know, he threw his his right, and then it was a collision because Morales um, um, came in with his left, and man, it was a collision. Just twisted his head, and he went down. It was a hard hit, and uh, I think he, I think Morales came back with a right that just cuffed him a little bit on top of the head, not to not to take too much away, but uh, uh, he went down. 
the uh, he he barely got up by the uh, ten count. When I first saw it, Bill, I thought maybe the referee could have said, "Hey, are you all right? Do you want to continue?" But you and I weren't there. Well, you were there. I'm sorry, Bill. <laughs> I don't know what you and a referee have seen, but the referee sees the best, uh, and he knows the fighters, how, what they're acting like and how they're behaving. And maybe he saw that, hey, maybe his eyes are rolling, they're dilated, and that's a sign of a concussion. And uh, he said, you know what, this guy's had enough for tonight. I don't know. Otherwise, I thought he should have maybe let him continue, at least to see if he can uh, stay on his feet or recover from that. But uh, I think he was more too. He was worried too much about what color hair he was going to fight with that night than he was even making the weight. So that that right there just just turns me off from a fighter. Yeah, I know. I know that uh, that gets you goat for sure, and I and I don't blame you at all. I I, I can't stand it's a it. Professional. And and, and, and you know what? I, I was talking about that on Saturday night with several people ringside. And you know what the truth is? If these guys are, and, and we see it a lot now. I mean, it's it's rampant in the sport of boxing um, that uh, that guys don't make weight, and, and you know when when the title what what makes me laugh is when they're trying to achieve a title, you know they're critical of people like myself who who's critical of all the titles, right? They all want the title. Oh no no no, you're wrong. You know the title still has value. Until they lose it on the scale. Then all of a sudden it's like, ah, well, I really didn't care. I mean, that title didn't mean nothing to me, blah, 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 blah. You know, and and I think if they had the same weigh-ins on the same day, if they had the same day weigh-ins, Sal, I think it would eliminate a lot of that because I think we would end up with a true representation of the weight classes. What do you think? Well, of course it would. And it should. I mean, that's what I've always professed. And and, you know, Bill, I, I just – these fighters, I, I don't understand. They're paid professionals. There's not one time and – I, and I hate to be redundant because I've said this before. During my wrestling career or any boxing match did I ever not make weight. And you know what? I even had a little a – little, I had a medical scale at my house, thing you'd step on uh, that you, when you go get a physical in the doctor's office. But I also had one of those little scales you buy in, in – uh, CVS or so that you step on, but I zeroed that scale accordingly to the weight on my medical scale. So I had it dialed up to the right weight where it would show me the true uh, weight, give or take a few ounces. And I would carry that thing in my training bag uh, to training camp, or I would, well, or I'd carry that thing to my fights when I fought in Atlantic City at the casinos or wherever I was staying in a hotel. I would have that scale packed. Because I knew and I was adamant I was never going to not make weight. And according to what I did, because I conducted myself as a professional, I never failed to make weight. But, you know, I'm not saying everyone has to do this, but these are paid professionals. And they should pay attention to the rules and regulations and how they should conduct themselves and and uh, and uh, push themselves away from the table or to, or to drink. Hey, it's, it's not easy. But the bottom line is the game has not been the same since they had the day before weigh-ins. We've seen fighters show up 20 pounds overweight uh, from their weigh-in day the day before. And uh, it's not true. It's dangerous. And you could have a case for both uh uh, sides, uh, same day weigh-in or day before weigh-in, and I like the day uh, be, the same day weigh-ins. I think that will outweigh the day before weigh-ins. Well, I, I my point was was that I, I think that a lot of fighters, and I don't think it's a, an issue of you know uh, 
eating too much or, or drinking no, too it's much. Not. I, I just think that they're physically too big to be in the weight class that they, a lot of them are campaigning in. And the only reason why they're doing it is to gain an edge. I, I mean, to be bigger. But, you know, if everybody's doing it, you're not really gaining an edge. But nonetheless, no. uh, Machado uh, made uh, a, a great comeback because uh, oh, all intense did. purposes, he was, he was losing uh, that uh, that fight big time on on the scorecards. Um, in the co-main event, Demetrius Andre, and, and, you know, this was also creating kind of a bur buzz uh, ringside because we were all wondering, you know, what happened? You know, uh, Demetrius Andre, none of the uh, paperwork that, that we received uh, uh, from uh, Golden Boy, Team Golden Boy, and I'll get to that in a minute, but um, I, we didn't receive any paperwork, you know, mentioning that he was a champ. And I got to talk with... Uh, with uh, uh, the powers that be about the fight, and and uh, they said, uh, well, you know, he gave up his title, and I, I was like, I hadn't heard that, but apparently before the fight, uh, Demetrius Andre did vacate his uh, regular. He, he had the WBA regular junior middleweight title that he gave up in return to be automatically ranked in the middleweight division, which makes sense because he was calling out Triple G the day before at the weigh-in. Uh, so uh, it was a little, uh, uh, a little uh, uh, crazy to me, but nonetheless, yeah. Dimitri Sanjay, who had a big following there, won a unanimous decision to improve to twenty six and zero with sixteen knockouts. Um, and and uh, Alantes Fox drops to twenty three one and one. The way the judges scored it one eighteen one ten one eighteen one oh nine. And uh, my man Don Ackerman, I, maybe his eyesight's starting to go bad. He scored at one sixteen one eleven. Which uh, I don't, I, I can't see that in any way, uh, shape, or form. Uh, Demetrius Andre uh, dominated this fight. The problem is he didn't do it in an exciting fashion, Sal. Um, and, and you know, I, I couldn't help but think, you know, I, I was before I realized that he vacated his title. I'm thinking, oh man, I'd like to see this guy in with those guys I complain about because they're so big, the Charlo brothers, or even J the Jared Hur, the the uh, fighter from uh, last week who looks so big, they're way bigger than Demetrius Andre. Now, all of a sudden, he's moving up to middleweight. You know, he's just, he's not an exciting fighter. I, I love Boo Boo uh, Andre. I think he's got a lot of talent, and when he's pushed, he does fight. But he's very content with throwing one and two punch combinations, or I should say two and three punch combinations. Um, very rarely does he let his hands go and throw a, uh, an excess of four punches at a time, which I believe he needs to do. And then when he dropped um, uh, 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 Alantes Fox in the uh, um, actually uh, Alantes Fox dropped uh, Andre in the seventh round, um, I, you know I, it was ruled a knockdown, but um, but uh, I don't know. I mean a punch did come, uh, but what I was gonna mention I forgot that he didn't go down. But uh, Demetrius Andre really rocked. Uh, Alantes Fox in the very first round, but then was complacent with uh, uh, just hanging out and 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 winning a a kind of a a boring fight. I mean, uh, what did you think? I thought just what you said. It was boring. In fact, I thought somewhere during the fight with uh, uh, Corrales, I, I thought I heard, and I could be mistaken, but I thought I heard Max Kellerman almost apologize for the 
quality or lack thereof that that uh, that was being broadcast on HBO. He said something to the effect, and uh, I don't want to be held liable for this because I'm not sure exactly what he said, but he made a little hint to uh, uh, these aren't really the kind of fights that HBO uh, usually pr- produces or so. And uh, and then boom, that was right before the uh, the knockout. So it was like okay. Uh, no, and the, the, the Andre Fox fight, I'll tell you what, you know, I, I remember a term we used to use a lot in the amateur days, uh, oh, these guys, that, that fighter, he's posing too much, he's posing too much, these guys were posing too much, you know, they're trying to also analogize Fox, because he was a big, tall, thin guy, you know, uh, they were saying, well, Tommy Hearns was big, tall, and, you know, this guy was big and tall, and as you said, uh, uh, Andre almost put him out uh, with a big hook or a big combination. He got caught with uh, in the first round. Um, so I didn't think this fight was going to go that long. And, you know, I, like I always said, I love to fight the big, tall, thin guys because it is more of the body attack. And I thought that was going to be his uh, strategy throughout the fight. And he was dominant. He won practically every round except for the seventh. Um, and uh, it was a boring fight. And the term we use in the amateur He's posing. He's posing. These guys were too tentative. They're almost too respectful, and they're just throwing one punch at a time, taking a jab, coming back, stepping back, boom. It was look. It looked like the old term, hey, he's posing. He's posing. And they want to look good. They didn't get into too many exchanges, and uh, it was a boring fight, very boring fight. I didn't, I didn't really care for the fight too much. And when he got caught, you know, it was, it was all over. It was done. True. Hey, hold that thought. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll finish talking about uh, the fights from the weekend and a little beyond, too, because it was a fight Thursday night we didn't get a chance to talk about and Sunday. So don't go nowhere. Billy will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, just to finish up real quickly... Um, because I was ringside, I'll, I'll give you guys uh, a quick uh, uh, recap of what else the other fights that took place. The night opened up with a uh, six-round lightweight fight. Uh, Michael Dutchover improved to six and zero with five knockouts when he stopped uh, Anthony De Jesus Ruiz uh, in at two minutes and forty-two seconds of the fourth round. Um, the corner uh, stopped this fight. Uh, Louise, uh, Ruiz drops to a two and four in a super featherweight uh, fight scheduled for six rounds. It went the distance when Ruben Vila improved to eight and zero with four knockouts when he won a unanimous decision over Jermaine Moraz, who drops to fifty four forty five and one with thirty five knockouts. The significance of this fight for Jermaine Moraz, Sal, was that he competed in his one hundredth fight. And this was something that Dax was talking about last week. Uh, and uh, actually, we, we continued talking about it for a while. Uh, I know Larry Hazard and I spoke about it, too, on Wednesday. But uh, this was something that a lot of fighters, uh, fight fans of today, don't put a value in a guy like Jermaine Mraz. Jermaine Mraz is the type of fighter that we need 
these kinds of fighters that are tough and, and rarely get knocked out, like uh, Miraz did not get knocked out, and they test young fighters. And, you know, and a lot of times they, they upset these guys. And, um, you know, today's fight fan looks at a, a record and glances at a record like 54 and 45 and says, oh, this guy's a bum. But he wasn't. He was in shape. He made weight. Um, you know, he was there to fight. Uh, something you see a lot of in Europe. And I, and I don't think we have enough of these guys, to be honest with you. No, we, well, he, we don't. But, uh, you know, I always refer back to when I watched a fight, I think it was a Saturday show, Why All the Sports, and Howard Cassell was commentating. And uh, Mike Hercules Weaver, who had a double-digit, maybe lost record, stepping in the ring with Big John Tate for the title. And probably was the definitely the B-side fighter coming in with multiple losses on his record. I think he had at least a 500 record. but uh, And boom, right hand caught John Tate. He went down like a tree, just face first. And, uh, you know, so no, these, these fighters with losses in their record, hey, if they're learning from their losses and if they're improving and if they're still able to get in the ring and have the courage and have the conditioning and have the heart and spirit and soul of a champion and or a fighter to want to win. And, uh, hey, man, I'll tell you what, don't don't uh, don't think that O behind a fighter's record really tells a true story. Uh, also on the card in a uh, scheduled six-round uh, junior uh, uh, welterweight fight, Luis Feliciano improved to 4-0 uh, with his first knockout. Uh, when he stopped uh, uh, Iveston Dervandez uh, at uh, two minutes and 13 seconds of the second round, uh, Dervandez uh, drops to 10 and 7. Um, uh, the toughest guy in uh, Dervandez's corner was his trainer, who was really pissed. <laughs> it was kind of fun to watch. Uh, a guy who had a huge following, and I, and I had seen him before, uh, Alex Rincon, he improved to 3-0 and with three knockouts. Uh, when he uh, uh, stopped uh, Steven Andre uh, at two minutes and 35 seconds of the second round, Andre drops a three and three. Uh, the thing I like about Rincon is that uh, this guy really worked the body. I, I, it, you know, it looked to me, especially a fighter uh, in his third professional fight, it looked to me like they had been working on working the body with him uh, leading up to this fight. And uh, Andre was in good shape, and, and he was kind of pissed that he uh, succumbed to uh, uh, Rincon's. Uh, uh, you know, body attack, but it was it was very um, joyful to see uh, a young fighter, three fights under his belt now, uh, work the body the way he did. Uh, you know, they, they, the other funny part about this, they kept, uh, you know, introducing him as the undefeated. You know, he had two fights, you know, undefeated. Know, right, yeah. right, he right, happened right. to like be undefeated, wait. but he had two speak fights. To me, speak to me when you get 10 under your belt. Yeah, now. yeah, you know, I mean, uh, you know, and then when they held his hand and still undefeated at now 3-0, you know, you know, I mean, come on. Um, in a light heavyweight fight um, that went to distance 10 rounds, Demetrius Ballard, uh, improved to 18 and 0 with 12 knockouts when uh, uh, he won a unanimous decision over Jaime Solorano uh, out of Mexico. Solorano was a, was a tough guy, and uh, Ballard was went into this fight real cocky, thinking that uh, he was going to beat uh, uh, Jaime, who went in. Uh, I'm sorry, Jaime, who went in uh, with a record of nine three and two. Uh, and uh, this guy uh, took uh, uh, Ballard all the way to the end. The way the judges scored it. 98-92, and two of them had it, 99-91. Um, in the uh, 
a fight that led up to we also got to see the uh, fight out of Europe. It was a long night at Turning Stone. The, the first fight started at 5:45 p.m. And as you know, after dark started at 11, so uh, it was a, it was a long night. But Lamont Roach Jr. Uh, improved to uh, 15 and 0 with five knockouts when he stopped uh, Luis Henoso uh, um, uh, in the uh, very first round, two minutes and four uh, seconds. And the producer uh, that was with Golden Boy, that was the uh, liaison, kept leaning over to this guy, going, "Hey, man, this this Roach." Hinoso fight better go 10 man it better go 10 and all of a sudden first round guy twists an ankle down he turns he goes what the f he's going now he says you know what i'm going into the restaurant call me uh call me in an hour because we got an hour to kill and uh it was uh, kind of funny but uh anyway that was the uh, whole fight card out of turning stone don't miss the next one and speaking of the fight that they showed i don't know if you got to see this one but uh uh ibf champ uh, ryan burnett uh, unified uh, the uh, Bantamweight titles when he won a unanimous decision over the WBA's version uh, of uh, the uh, Bantamweight title holder, Zanat Zakhanarov. Uh, Ryan Burnett uh, improved to 18-0 and with nine knockouts. Uh, Zakhanarov drops to 27-2. and I thought it was an interesting fight. Um, the way the judges scored it, 118-110, 119-109, and 116-112, kind of all over the place. Did you see this one? I did see this one, and uh, I thought Burnett was a tough guy, and uh, they 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 had a great uh, great little fight, and Zacchiano came up short. But no, I thought Burnett was a was a good little fighter. I liked the infighting; they didn't have to find each other. Could almost have been uh, held in a phone booth, and uh, you know it was a, it was a good fight, from what I remember. Yeah, it was. Uh, it started out a little slow. There was a it lot did. of significance with the fight, uh, only because. Uh, uh, you know, Ricky Hatton was actually in yes. the corner of Zakhanov, and we all heard the story. Not only did uh, Jim Lampley tell the story during the broadcast, but he was kind enough to to say word for word what he said on the broadcast uh, when he grabbed the mic uh, and uh, started talking to the audience. It was part of their "Let's kill some time" uh, plan. So, right. but uh, used to be uh, that- used to be ABC's uh, up close and personal. But, uh, uh, no, it was a good fight. I like Burnett. I like to keep following him, see what he does. He's a, he's a good little fighter. I liked what he did on the inside. And, you know, he came well-conditioned. Both fighters were in very good condition. And uh, I thought he was an entertaining fighter. Uh, also, uh, on uh, some other fights that took place on <laughs> Sunday, uh, Riotta Morata uh, improved to 13-1 and one, uh, when he uh, captured the uh, WBA middleweight title uh, when he beat... Uh, uh, Hassan Nadam, who retired in his corner, had had enough uh, in uh, uh, after the seventh round. Um, I, 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 you know, I was watching this fight. I, I, I thought it was kind of strange. I mean, Murata is a tough guy, uh, but uh, I don't know how he's going to do with some of these other 160 pounders. I mean, David Lemieux, I think, would kill him. Even Billy Joe Saunders, uh, Canelo beats him. Uh, obviously, Triple G. Uh, you know, I, to be honest with you. Look for, I mean, the way the moves went on Saturday, look for Demetrius Andre to all of a sudden get a fast let, track. Hey, let me tell you, Demetrius Andre cannot hold a candle to any of these guys. And, and I, I was saying, because I, you know, not taking too much away from him. I, I, maybe it was just a bad night. But I, like I said, when a fighter doesn't make weight and, and everything else, it shows the lack of discipline there. 
And like I said, he was posing. It was this and that. He was throwing one punch at a time, a few here and there combinations. Nah. Demetrius Andre in a ring with uh, uh, Triple G or Canelo Alvarez or uh, or even uh, they'll they'll be carrying him out on a stretcher. Well, they won't. He he, he beats Murata, so I, I think that he could steal a fight from Murata. And uh, don't be surprised if he uh, uh, if he gets that fight. And then uh, you know has to fight against a guy like Daniel Jacobs or something who will kill him. But uh, any one any one of those guys will kill him. And, yeah. and forget even even Dave Lemieux. Dave Lemieux will tee off on his head. Oh yeah. Also, uh, some other fights to just get you caught up on. Uh, uh, Kareem uh, Mayfield improved to twenty one and four with a draw when he won a six round unanimous decision over Miguel Dumas, who uh, had gone into the fight undefeated. Uh, he's now 10-1, and one, the way the judges scored that one, 60-54 twice, and one had it 55-54. From the land down under, former uh, super middleweight champ Seiko Bika uh, won. He improved to 34-7 and seven with three draws when he beat uh, uh, Giard Ajavtovic, who drops to 31-16. and 16. Uh, That also took place uh, on Sunday. Uh, and one other fight I wanted to mention um, well, actually, uh, I missed uh, I missed a real important fight. Where where is it? oh the WBSS? Um, a you know I, this I, I love this series and Dax is going to come on in about a half hour, which reminds me. Hold that thought. I missed a break <laughs> last time, but I'm not going to miss it this time. I'll be back in two. Billy C will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where... Back, you're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us today. And uh, before I went to break, I forgot one of the most exciting fights of the weekend, Sal. And it was the World Boxing Super Series uh, Cruiserweight Division. It was the final uh, uh, quarterfinals, they're calling it. And um, Murad Gassiov improved to 25 and 0. Now remember, he's the IBF World Cruiserweight Champion. When uh, he knocked out Christoph Lodzarek. Remember, Christoph Lodzarek was the guy that David Fraud Hay avoided in the cruiserweight <laughs> division to move up and, and get a fast track to the heavyweight title. Uh, and Lodzarek is no spring chicken, but he drops to 53 and 4 with a draw. Uh, he uh, got knocked out in the third round at 1 minute and 57 seconds. This uh, World Boxing Super Series has treated us to now four big, big, uh, you know, highlight reel knockouts. And uh, I, I love every minute of it. Dax will be on in a little bit uh, to talk about that. But there was one other fight, too. And this, by the way, uh, was in Jersey. We'll be talking to Larry about that uh, on Wednesday. And they have their, their system here is they have a substitute, like mini tournament going on during this tournament where the guys that are in line for substitutes are also advancing. <laughs> And uh, Matus <laughs> Masternak improved to 40-4 and four when he scored a seventh-round stoppage over Stivens Bujai, uh, who drops to 16-2. and two. 
uh, in, uh, like I said, in the seventh round. So uh, he continues to move forward uh, as uh, as a possible substitute should uh, a cruiserweight get injured or can't move on. But uh, now on Thursday, there was uh, I really wanted to watch this fight, and I did, and I was glad I did. Uh, Gabe Rosado, uh, one of these uh, throwback I kind of that. fighters. Yeah, one of these throwback kind of fighters. I liked it. He improved to 24-11 and 11 when he scored a sixth-round sixth stoppage over uh, Glenn Jersey Boy Tapia uh, Thursday night. It was in Vegas. The uh, official time was 1 minute and 15 seconds. Um, he, here's my thought. I, I thought Rosado looked good. However, when he fights against the top-level opposition, he still has trouble. Uh, you know, he'll have trouble with good, you know, quality fighters, especially fast-handed fighters. Um, he still takes too many shots. His defense isn't great. Plus, uh, his own hand speed is, is mediocre at best. You know, I, I, I love Jersey Boy. I, I love Glenn Tapia. But, I, you know, he reminded me. When I was watching this fight, I kept saying, who does he remind me of? Who does he remind me of? And all of a sudden, it hit me. He reminds me of Peter Manfredo Jr., not only physically and style-wise, but exactly how when Peter Manfredo Jr. started to go downhill, just like Tapia is, too yeah. many shots, more heart than his body can, 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 can just put up with. You know, he wants to fight, but he's, he just can't pull that trigger. Uh, I think he's taking a lot of punishment. Uh, you know, he has lost, uh, uh, you know, his fourth uh, fight in a row, uh, all taking uh, punishment. I love his style. I love his attitude. I love his power. But to be honest with you, Sal, uh, this guy's got to hang him up at, at this point. He's a young man, and I certainly don't want to see any damage. What was your thoughts on the fight? Yeah, I enjoyed the fight. It was good. And Gabe Rosado was able to pull it out. And the fact that gave, uh, I think I gave Tappy the first round. He came out, you know, wanting to show that he had what it took to be there, and uh, I thought he was uh, aggressive. And uh, you know, I like the story how he's uh, providing a gym and and training the the, the 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 following he has and young kids in in the town where he is. And you know, it was a nice story, and he could probably do well uh, cultivating young talent in his gym and being there uh, for for all these young fighters. But you know, the fight itself, I thought it was an entertaining fight. Uh, I liked uh, watching Gabe Rosado. I, th I agree with you. I think, you know, when he steps up against a um, um, big competition, he might have a little trouble. But he was entertaining. He did a good job. And, you know, I, I also was going to ask you, I don't know if you want to talk about it now or save it for another time. But, uh, you know, I, I heard I heard uh, Andre Ward throughout some of the fights. And I'm starting to see why they they brought him on board. And to to be the technical guy and to see, I thought he did a decent job uh, uh, telling some uh, insight from a fighter's perspective about where the fighter may be in the fight and things like that. He also coined one of my favorite sayings during that Rosado fight. I can't believe it. Believe it. He actually coined my phrase. Is oh now they're just jockeying for position the fighters and that's my favorite phrase. So it's good. But I, I like the fight. But I'm, I I think Rosado definitely. Uh, has a brighter future in his career than Glenn Tapia. I well, think Tapia should think twice. Uh, Glenn, I mean, uh, as much as I like Gabe Rosado, you know, as soon as he, uh, you know, gets in there with a top-notch fighter, he's he's going to get in trouble. Co-feature yeah. Keandre Gibson improved to eighteen-one and one when he scored a majority decision over Alejandro Barrera. Uh, Barrera uh, um, fought hard, 
And the scores were kind of all over the place. 98-92, 97-93, both in favor of Gibson. And then the third had it even, 95-95. So uh, who the hell knows? But uh, anyway, hey, uh, in NFL action, first and foremost, in Major League Baseball action, oh, um, oh. the Dodgers uh, will be fighting the, uh, will be uh, playing the Astros beginning tomorrow night for the World Series. Congratulations to both teams. Um, and uh, congratulations to... Uh, uh, the Yankees, uh, I'm not a Yankee fan. So, you know, I mean, uh, you know, don't think I'm just congratulating them because I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not uh, at all. I, as a matter of fact, I despise them. But I give them a lot of credit. They were down two games to none in the uh, uh, in the divisional playoff series and came back and won that. They had to play that uh, game to get into that. And they were down two games to none in the uh, championship series and went back to Houston with a one-game lead and put Houston in a position where they had to win two in a row, and they did just that. Uh, so uh, Houston and the Dodgers uh, will uh, begin the uh, World Series tomorrow night. Now, over in the NFL, yesterday, uh, the Bills beat the Buccaneers 30-27. to The Bears topped the Panthers, which was a surprise to me, 17-3. to The Jaguars blanked the Colts 27-0. Town, uh, the Titans uh, took overtime to beat the Browns 12 to nine. The Browns are on, haven't won a game yet, but they have, they have been in there tough. Uh, they're a couple of players away from being contenders, I think. I, I really do. They they still need a quarterback. But uh, Saints over the uh, um, Packers. You know, obviously uh, they missed their quarterback, uh, Aaron Rodgers, 26-17. The Rams, they're for real. They shut out the Cardinals, 33 nothing. In a, in a game that I'm still throwing up over, the Dolphins beat the Jets 31-28. The, uh, the Jets are, uh, you know, I, I keep telling everybody this. The worst coach that I've ever seen is Todd Bowles. This guy has no clue what's going on. The Jets' defense, uh, they give up games when they need uh, to really hunker down at the, at the best time. When the Jets' defense has to come through, they never do. And that quarterback is, he's not good, boys and girls. This is a guy that, and he proved it yesterday by throwing an interception all the way across the field. You know, I, I know he's the best of who they got, but everybody thought that he was, oh, he's doing great. There's a reason why teams get rid of quarterbacks. There's a reason why he played for eight different NFL teams in his career. And by the way, it's really 10 because he was cut from two of the teams before the uh, opening day. So uh, uh, 31-28 Jets lose. Vikings beat the Ravens 24-16. Cowboys beat the 49ers 40-10. Seahawks beat the Giants 24-7. The Steelers over the Bengals 29-14. The Chargers shut out the Broncos. What happened to the Broncos? 21-0. And the Patriots uh, beat the Falcons. I think the uh, 23-7, uh, I think that's... Uh, might be uh, maybe two or maybe even three games in a row the Falcons have lost. I got an email. We didn't get to read this one on Friday um, or Thursday whenever we uh, did our show last. Uh, and this one's from uh, my man uh, Jeff. He says, uh, uh, and it's concerning the David Lemieux, uh, Billy Joe Saunders fight. And this is uh, my man Jeff's uh, opinion. He says, Billy, I'm intrigued by the matchup of Saunders versus Lemieux. It's an interesting meeting of boxer versus puncher. With the increased spotlight on the British fighters, I've seen several of the Saunders' recent fights, 
And make no mistake, this young man can fight and compete very well against the best of them. I've always believed Triple G would be too relentless in his pursuit of Saunders, but as fun and as talented as Lemieux uh, is, he does not have those same cutting-off-the-ring skills. I believe Saunders has the better ability to take a punch and will employ a steady stick and move game plan to move out of Lemieux's power range and turn Lemieux into position for Saunders to land his heavier shots between the jabs. Saunders is very cocky, and frankly, I don't care uh, for his low-class attitude. Let's not even discuss his wise-ass kid, uh, nor his overall (laughs) performance in his last effort, but I do not believe he was really uh, ever up for that fight. Uh, when the challenge is great and even a little more, a little bit more in- intimidating, I believe he performs better and smarter. Saunders took on Eubank Jr. when he didn't have to, even though Eubank was green- on the green side. It was a big domestic fight, and he fought intelligently, staying away from Eubank's power until the end where it was safer to mix it up. The atmosphere will be in Lemieux's favor, and Saunders will definitely be the heel in the buildup of this fight, but the Brits support uh, their fighters away, and my prediction is Saunders rises to the occasion, uh, which is something we hear from Sal at least Sal. ten times a day, and frustrates Lemieux with his uh, awkward movement and surprising power. There will this will be a fun and exciting fight. Love the show. Never miss an episode. Thank you, Jeffrey. Wow. Your official prediction you didn't give. I'm assuming. You're talking upset for uh, for Billy Joe Saunders. What do you think, Sal? You know, I, I love his breakdown. I love his assessment. And uh, I I could see, you know, where he gives merit to Saunders' style and uh, possibility of, you know, like I said, any given night, anybody could be beaten. I just think part of David Lemieux's uh, approach to fighting when he gets in the ring is he's, yeah, he's he's oblivious to some of the uh, technical things and and boxing, and he just has one thing on mind: <laughs> let me land one of my haymakers and let me connect. And I think that you know he does avoid some punches. He doesn't get hit with everything, he, but he he is a target at times. I just think his punching power will prevail, and even though Saunders may be able to outbox him, get in and out, and and move, I just think. Uh, uh, when when David Lemieux can prepare himself for a uh, in sparring and training for a Saunders style like fight, I think we will see a little bit more from uh, David Lemieux as far as possibly cutting the ring off or being prepared to see how Saunders can move in the ring. And I think David Lemieux is a little smarter fighter than what we give him credit for. And uh, I hope to see that improvement because I like David Lemieux, and I'm not going to make that no no bones about that. I think he's a good, exciting fighter. He's got the punching power, and I could see exactly uh, um, where it could be a very good fight. It's going to be a very entertaining fight. Very good fight. Uh, Lemieux gets uh, will get the better of Saunders and I, I think so. I think I, his power. I think David Lemieux's power. You know, it, it is an equalizer to a degree. And um, I think he also learned, and he he came up short, as we know, on the Triple G fight. 
But I think uh, during that fight, he also learned because we we've seen him again, and uh, I, I think uh, he's got a lot to a passion and heart yet that I think he's going to con- constantly uh, give us his best and steadily improve a little bit. And uh, I think uh, I think he's going to give a give us a good show. I think it's going to be a great show. Um, as far as uh, the leading up, the building leading up to it, uh, we knew that this was going to get uh, fun. Uh, yeah. So I got some quotes. Uh, Billy Joe Saunders says, Lemieux looks like he looks good against B-level fighters, but now he's getting in the ring with someone who's far more superior and slick than anyone he's ever been in the ring with. I don't just want it. I just, I don't just want the dog meat that Triple G has left behind. I want the dog <laughs> himself. And when I come through in this fight, I will get him. He's a mandatory, and we've agreed to a deal to go over to foreign soil and get it on. I have a lot of friends in Canada, and I'll be bringing a lot of supporters over to Canada from you from the UK. It's all the makings of a good fight. I'm expecting a good, clean, fair decision. Once I beat Lemire, I'll be moving on to bigger fish. The winner of the rematch between Canelo and Triple G, I'm looking forward to a great fight. David Lemieux says... It's time to be world champion again. Saunders is about to get destroyed. I'm going to be extremely ready for this fight, and I'm going to inflict a lot of pain on Billy Joe Saunders. His O must go. A um, lot of talk going on between the two fighters. Uh, I uh, agree with you, Sal. I think it's going to be a good fight. Um, one thing you know makes me laugh, moving on to something else now, but one thing makes me laugh big time about uh, some of the sanctioning bodies and specifically the WBA. You know, after we watched Leo Santa Cruz fight uh, and we watched Abner Mare's fight a couple weeks ago, during the fight and then when we talked about it on that Monday, all we talked about was Santa Cruz fighting Abner Mare's next. As a matter of fact, they already had an agreement. As a matter of fact, they talked about that during the broadcast. Well, the WBA wanted to make sure that they are in the driver's seat, which you see, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, the truth (laughs) of the matter is is simply this. If a fighter gains notoriety, the belts don't mean crap to them. It doesn't affect their money. It it does affect their money when they don't have to pay a sanctioning fee. And And the sanctioning bodies need the bigger names more than the bigger names need them. And here's a case where the WBA did not want to be left out of the mix because uh, on Monday or Tuesday, I think it was, they ordered, this past Monday or Tuesday, a week after, they ordered that the Leo Santa Cruz and Abner Marys uh, start negotiations uh, for their fight. You know, was it necessary? These guys were already negotiating. They already had a deal in place. But according to the WBA, they wanted to make sure that these guys played nice and they have to come up with a, uh, uh, an agreement and a scheduled fight by November 6th, which is pretty soon. Uh, it's another week or so away. Uh, they fought like they were supposed to. They both won. And uh, now uh, we'll see what happens. If it does not go uh, until, if they don't get an agreement by no, uh, November 6th, uh, this uh, will go to purse bid according to the WBA. And, you know, this is just another one of those cases, Sal, where, uh, uh, where you know, they want to be in the mix they want to make it seem like, you know, without them, uh, the fighters are worthless. And I think it's a total other way around. Yeah, I think you're right. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, but we're going to have that 
constant struggle and and you know we we always have to put up with the sanctioning bodies and uh, you know it's it, it is what it is that's the, the way the game has what's the uh, antagonist of evolve devolve <laughs> i mean it's it's it, it's gotten too too complicated for its own good and uh, i think that um, it's been on a pathway that can't be stopped now um some other news i i, I wanted you know I well, I'm going to tell you guys this, I, and I'm not going to mention names, but let me just say this: you know how I say Deontay <laughs> Wilder is a fraud, right? And I don't blame Deontay because Deontay really feels that he's the best heavyweight. Well, let me give you an inside scoop, and this is coming from very inside. I just can't mention his name. Um, they know, and it's not me. They know it's definitely not you. They know for a fact that Deontay Wilder cannot beat Anthony Joshua. And they are finding every possible way to avoid that showdown. So FYI, boys and girls, Team Wilder, they all know that he doesn't stand a chance. They all know that he's he's been a built-up fraud. And, uh, you know, no disrespect to Deontay, the man himself. Uh, but it's a shame that people are actually uh, putting this kid in harm's way because they are. Uh, when you build up a guy like this who struggles with fighters he should take out quickly and then have him really believe in that he's so good, uh, that becomes a dangerous situation, at, at least in my opinion. You know, fighters aren't allowed to progress, uh, you know, naturally, you know, increase in their, their, their level of opposition. Then uh, they are never going to get better. And then when they finally get put in there, uh, they get destroyed. And speaking of uh, AJ, we'll be talking about him later in the week uh, because he fights last-minute sub uh, this weekend. So uh, anyway, some things I wanted to mention real quick. Top rank, uh, one of these other, uh, um, you know, one of the main uh, uh, promoters, you know, uh, they went the, the, a different route. And apparently, since top rank cut their deal with ESPN, uh, they have uh, really... Uh, been kicking some ass in the uh, rankings, uh, television viewing rankings. Uh, apparently, according to ESPN, boxing under the top top rank banner as getting the highest ratings since 2006, 11 years, uh, which is great. And uh, not only that, but they also are uh, kicking ass with the uh, at home viewing, which is you know handheld and stuff like that up as much as 15% uh, overall, and especially in the 18 to 35-year-old group, up uh, well over 20%. This is all in the last several months, so uh, really good uh, news on that. And some better news pertaining to ESPN and Top Rank. There's another uh, big fight, a couple of big fights uh, on ESPN. November 11th, uh, Atur Beterbeev is taking on Enrico Colling. Uh, for the vacant IBF light heavyweight title. Uh, and on, also on that card, Jose Ramirez uh, will be uh, taking on uh, Mike Reed, both undefeated fighters uh, in uh, the junior welterweight division. Then on December 9th, uh, at a Madison Square, uh, uh, Madison Square Garden, uh, which is already sold out, uh, you will see Vasily Lomachenko against uh, uh, Guillermo Rigondeaux you know, much anticipated fight. So uh, ESPN is doing well. And Sal, Golden Boy Promotions was the promoter for the HBO event uh, that I went to on Turning Stone. 
and you know they bring their show with them and and you know it was kind of made me think that it was more of a circus act than anything else the one thing i noticed that was stupid on golden boy's part there was no local fights on uh, no local fighters on the card and the attendance could have been a little better i mean that arena seats 5000 and i would say it was about half full uh, they had a whole section closed off, but you know, if you're going to bring a, a, a an event into town, even though it's on TV, you got to have some local fighters on that card. What's your thoughts? Well, of course you do, and that's what I what I always refer back to when we go to grassroots promotion, and you know, that's what you do. You draw the local community by having a you know preliminary card made up with some comprised of some local fighters. I mean, it's a natural and. Uh, I don't know why they uh, didn't want to do that because it would have probably put some more fans in the in the stadium there. Yeah, well, you know, no, that, that's a basic. That's a basic. That's a fundamental. Hey, should should be. Hey, you know, this is what we do and this is how we do it. Well, one of the things that really bothered me was they had this this guy from uh, uh, Golden Boy tattoo the one, and he's running around, uh, you know, with a mic in his hand and. You know, trying to get the crowd going. And normally you have these gorgeous ring... Turning Stone, ask Alex Propelli. Turning Stone is normally known for the most gorgeous ring card girls. And they usually have eight of them, you know. And they're all over the place. I mean, it's... I go there for, for them, really. No, I, I don't. But uh, but but they had one. And, and granted, she was beautiful. Uh, the Tecate girl, you see her a lot. Uh, she She's probably one of the, the better ring card girls. And I don't mean just appearance-wise. I mean, she, she knows how to... You know, she knows what she's doing in there. and um, But this other guy's running around throwing T-shirts to everybody, uh, tossing out Canelo gloves. I mean, it was like a, a big advertisement for, for Golden Boy. And I thought it kind of took away. I mean, you know, what kind of fans are we trying to uh, attract? Uh, are, we, are we looking for the carnival act? You know, uh, Coach has said in, in, uh, for several years now that boxing has become WWE, Sal. And I'll tell you, I saw, I saw traces of it from a live perspective. I mean, we see it from behind the scenes and the buildup and the trash talking and all of that stuff. But now all of a sudden at the events, it's being built up. It's like a circus show. You know, it's, you know I, I, it wasn't enjoyable. Maybe it's just me getting old. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, there wasn't that many kids there. I mean, it was... Uh, you know, that that's the whole thing. I mean, if, if there was a lot of kids in the audience, maybe you, you do it like that. There really wasn't. Uh, I don't know. What's your quick thoughts? You got it. 30 seconds. Well, I know you and I text a little bit uh, back and forth, and I, I gave you a whole dissertation as far as what I thought. Some no, of you didn't. You were afraid it. that you didn't do it. You were afraid that somebody was going to intercept <laughs> that text, and you didn't want to do it. But I knew what you meant. I knew you what know, you meant. No, and you, you knew, know and what, you I, knew what, what I meant. I meant. But and, also, I gave I, – I think boxing – you know, shoots itself in the foot from time to time. And part of it is because they feel that boxing or whatever they want to bite on, they feel that boxing has to be one of those sports, those progressive sports that they try and reinvent the wheel or where they try to uh, fix what's not broken. And by doing so and keeping up with the contemporary times, they're really not getting what the boxing purists or what the fans really call for and that is the basics that's how boxing has always been what attracts people to boxing is the fights and the fighters and the basics not the hoopla not this not that so i think a lot of it gets lost in translation of 
how the the industry or how uh, people want to evolve with the sign of the times, uh, but not realizing that hey, this is not what boxing is all about. Well, this is not what. No, Go what, I, I got to take a break. But I, the the thing is, I don't want people to to start dropping emails and, and saying I missed a point because I certainly didn't. I get it. The point is is that you want to have people that go to live boxing events feel like it's an event and it's fun. And Golden Boy was successful at doing it. My point is it was just handled in a young, like a a kid, like a kid's uh, mentality level. Um, I think they could have accomplished the same thing, even throwing the same gloves and and the same stuff away um, if it was presented in a more adult fashion that's all it seemed very immature to me sal i mean it was it seemed like it was geared towards eight and ten year old kids which i don't have a problem with that but specifically those age groups aren't normally at a live boxing uh, event even though there were there were several and there was also a couple of babies there but uh um for the most part it's an adult uh, event anyway hold that thought we're going to take a short break when we come back we're scheduled to have dax <coughs> Excuse me, Dax Khan join us um, with his thoughts on the fights from uh, uh, the weekend. So uh, uh, don't go nowhere. All right. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now, or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're listening and watching. The Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us. You know, last time uh, I had the sun shining in on me like it is right now, we lost power. That's what happens around around these parts. But uh, anyway, joining us right now from parts unknown, from a country unknown. <laughs> it's like WWE. Joining us now in the red corner from parts unknown is my man Dax Khan. What's up, Dax? Good morning. How are you? I don't know. Somebody slipped something in my coffee between breaks. But uh, <laughs> anyway. They must have. Yeah, the, the fights. Let, you know what? Uh, let's talk real quick about the fight Thursday night. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about that on Friday, of course. And uh, uh, I know uh, I wanted to look at the uh, uh, the other fights. But, you know, Sal and I both agreed. It, it, it seems like, and, and I love Glenn Tapia, but it seems like he's, he's I mean, when you make Gabe Rosado look like he's Sugar Ray Robinson in there, I mean, uh, it's time to hang him up. What was your thoughts on that fight? Um, I like the way Rosado was boxing, and he was avoiding the brawl. I know Tapia is a shot fighter for all intents purposes. Uh, being back with Billy Briscoe, I think, has made a change for uh, Rosado. Uh, Tapia, definitely. Uh, ever since the James Kirkland fight, honestly, uh, T- Glenn Tapia hasn't looked very well. He's definitely lost his punch resistance. 
Gabrizado, who's not a big puncher, if he can swell you up and make you look like that, then obviously, uh, you know, your body is saying no more. He has that Jersey Boy boxing gym. His heart may want to fight, but, you know, it's time to hang him up because he's going to end up, you know, I, I just see bad things happening, unfortunately. Not that I'm wishing it on him, but, you know, he's one of those guys that, you know, to me, just seemed like one big punch away from tragedy. Hey, did you did you hear my, my comparison? Uh, I, he reminded me, not only does he look and fight like him, but when he was on the end, on the downswing too, he reminded me a hell of a lot of Peter Manfredo Jr. Yeah, actually, except Peter could take a punch better. I don't know. Tapia used to be able to take a punch pretty well. I mean, I think the accumulation of the last four fights in a row, he's taken a severe beating. Yeah, like I said, I think the James Kirkland fight, after that James Kirkland fight, he was just never the same. Yeah, well, remember... Uh, remember the fight with uh, Peter Manfredo and Joe Calzaghe? I mean, they, they waved that one off fast, and, uh, you know, uh, that was towards the end. That, that I don't know if that was his last fight, or it was definitely towards the end. But anyway. Second to last. Yeah. Favorite part about that, and I, and I always tell people about it all the time when they ask about these moments, it was uh, Larry Merchant afterwards. He's interviewing, and uh, Frank Warren's coming over. Uh, he's interviewing Joe Calzaghe, and he's asking uh, Joe Calzaghe, well, what's next in your career? Frank Warren starts walking over, and Larry Merchant literally looks at him. He goes, go, go away. And he's like, why? He goes, nobody hears what you want to talk about. I'm not talking about you. I'm talking to you. Just go. Get away. And Larry's getting all mad. His hair's going in all different directions. I loved it. And Frank Warren, like 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 a dog with his tail between his legs, just looked at the ground and just stood in the back. It was like, like uh, you know, the only thing he was missing was a dunce cap. <laughs> um, <laughs> the WVSS, man, has not let us down uh, at all, Dax. Uh, tell us about the, what you saw with uh, Gaziov uh, knocking out Vlad Zarek the other night. I was... You know, this weekend, it's a good thing we didn't come on Friday. I didn't come on Friday. There was no show, but um, I'd had a lot of these fights wrong. I actually thought uh, Vlad Zarek was going to be able to uh, dr uh, bring Gassiev late, kind of drown them, bring him to places he's never been. Because against Lebedev, Gassiev didn't look that good, and Lebedev is far from his best. But that body shot, you know, has really seen, really uh, did its uh, damage on Vlad Zarek. He wasn't able to continue. He never even really got into the fight. I don't think Gassiev is that good. Um, I just think maybe Vlad Zarek wasn't his night. It happens. He's not a shot fighter by any means. He's never been stopped before. So, you know, but uh, it was it was a good fight. It was a good ending. The uh, atmosphere there, as always, you know, is great with those World Boxing Super Series. I don't think Gassioff is going to win. Um, a lot of people are, were uh, praising his power, but you know what? He doesn't have the Junior Dortico's power, and he certainly uh, would not be able to go in there and do something like that with Alexander Usyk. So, you know, uh, it was good. Uh, as for um, Vlad Zarek, I don't know what's next for him. You know, he's, he hasn't really been a contender since 2014 when he lost his uh, his WBC title to uh, uh, Zrad. So... I don't, I don't know, you know, what do you say about that, about a guy like that? He's been around for so long, and he's given us so many good fights. Him and Steve Cunningham, actually, are the two guys that you would credit for today's modern uh, cruiserweight division uh, gaining his popularity when nobody was around and nobody was, was fighting or, or feeling those titles were valid. Steve Cunningham went over to Europe, and him and Vlad Zarek, you know, their series of fights back and forth against each other is what really gave that division recognition. Yeah, I you know I uh, he's been around a long time, a lot of miles on him. The torch, the torch has been passed, but overall, uh, that World Boxing Super Series has given us some great fights, some fantastic, uh, uh, you know, KO real knockouts. I, 
I hope he does more, man. I hope he does more, and I'm really looking forward to how it unfolds because we've got some great matchups coming our way. But uh, HBO, Machado, upsetting Jezreel Corrales. Sal and I both, uh, you know, we both kind of feel good uh, for Corrales. Uh, good for you for not making weight, but maybe it's an indication <laughs> that uh, that maybe we, we do need to revisit the same-day weigh-ins. What was your thoughts on that fight? The fact they didn't make weight by so much, it wasn't even by a pound. I believe the first time he came in weighing was 134, and the most he was able to get down to was 133.5 or 133.6. Uh, you know, he came in there, you know, I, I never really thought that much of Corrales. I, I actually thought that uh, Robinson Castellanos, you know, was pretty much the guy that, that told the story on how to beat him. He almost reminds me of a poor man's Prince Nassim Hamed without that uh, ultimate skill set where, you know, he comes at these awkward angles and he dodges in, he darts out. And we all know exactly what happened with Prince Nassim Hamed. Marco Antonio Barrera did the basic fundamentals and he just picked Hamed apart. And that's, um, you know, after a rough, rocky start, after suffering from these uh, awkward angles, being caught with that same punch over and over again, Freddie Roach is in the corner. He's telling uh, Alberto Machado, listen, just use the jab, go out there and work that, and that's exactly what he did. And the, um, that's how uh, you know he ended up catching um, Corrales coming in at that time when they exchanged punches at the same time. Uh, referee Mark Nelson, talk about horrible. Not only would, did he allow uh, Corrales at 30 seconds to hold, and he didn't count that one knockdown. Um, after uh, he allows Corrales to hold and uh, that tackle happened, he warns Machado for a slight hold. You know, so, but I'm, I was happy for Machado. This is a kid he has a lot to work on, obviously. If he doesn't, yes. Freddie doesn't work on it soon, he's not going to keep that title for very long. But you know what? It was a good night. It was one of those feel-good moments because this is a kid, you know, back in uh, Puerto Rico, his, his island is just, you know, the island, the country is totally smashed. And he was dedicating this to them, his family back there. It gave them something to cheer about. You know, it, this is a, uh, was a comeback from nowhere story. So, you know, all in all, it was good. And as far as Robinson Castellanos, he has to work on some things he's got to uh, learn how to use those fundamentals or you know what pretty much Machado showed the way exactly how to beat him or should I say Robinson Castellano showed exactly how to beat uh, Jezreel Corrales um, Jezreel Corrales uh, uh, I think I don't think he was that great to begin with I, I don't know why they were uh, making such a big thing about him and you're right about the weight um, he, he only had lost a half a pound. He ended up weighing uh, three and a half pounds over, and it didn't seem to help him. But uh, what about Demetrius Andre? He comes in and uh, fights at middleweight. It all had us kind of a little confused. We didn't know what, what had gone on, but he had uh, apparently uh, hours, he before, he hours before he had vacated his title, uh, cut a deal with the WBA to be uh, uh, ranked high should he have won. And uh, he did win. And, I, you know, I, the fight uh, was a snooze fest, Dax. I mean, he needs to go in there and fight. Uh, you know, he, he controlled the fight. There was no question about it. But he doesn't throw more than two punches at a time. Very rarely does he go in three and fours. I, I think he needs to do that. And maybe that I've been blaming the promotional team of Star and, and Banner Promotions uh, for uh, not getting uh, him the recognition that he should have. But maybe it's his own style. You know, remember this. Here's, here's a true story about Demetrius Andre. Uh, if you remember the night of uh, Mayweather versus Cotto, 
uh, Star Boxing had uh, Friday Night Fights on Saturday. It was a special edition. And I was there uh, ringside. I was on the apron. And that was the night that Andre had fought uh, Rudy Cisneros. And he just goes in there and he just knocks Cisneros out. And I looked at somebody and I shook my head because this was such an overmatched fight. And somebody from Andre's team walked over to me and goes, Oh, you didn't like the performance? I said, The performance was great, but look at the fight. And look at the opponent. Uh, you know, it's not hard to look good against an opponent like that. And he says, You know something? They don't want to pay him. Uh, you know, they, they don't want to give him any money. They don't want to get him big fights. They're not seeking the big fights for him. So why should he go out there and should he take these chances? We've been begging him for big name opponents. He gets that WBA t- a BO title. And look what happened with the WBO title because of the promoter and what they did is, you know, somehow Andre, you know, did not get that, uh, get his contract signed in time. So he had, the, uh, what was it, the year he had, was he stripped or he had to vacate the title uh, before he was being stripped. So, you know, I can understand exactly what you're saying. I was disappointed because Andre is such a top talent. And if he had a top name to go in there against, I really think we'd see the absolute best in Andre because he is a phenomenal fighter. But on the other side, too, when you're not getting these paychecks that you should and you are um, having to struggle just to get these fights and you're continuously arguing with your promoter, that's difficult. You know, you're going in there and taking chances against guys that are two, three, and even four levels below you. And let's be honest, Atlantis Atlant- Atlant- Fox is not a, t- you know, he's, He's more or less just uh, another version of an Aaron Pryor Jr., a little bit taller. I've never seen a guy that tall with such a long reach have such a horrible jab. It was, you know, um, I mean, horrible. I've never seen a jab that bad before. I am disappointed Andre didn't go out there and get that knockout. He started out quick. Um, You know, I thought he was going to really take it to him and make a statement. So who knows? I think maybe if we see Andre step it up against a higher level of competition, we will see the very best in him. But as for uh, what happened on Saturday night, it didn't look good for him, but we do know that definitely Demetrius Andre is a talent. But that uh, that clock is ticking. You know, he's going to be 30 years old, and 30 years old when you haven't been able to continuously use your tools, those tools start to rust, and that is what could happen if he doesn't get himself a couple opponents of an upper tier before he steps in with some of them big names at middleweight, or else he can end up being the guy who's just an opponent. Hey, Sal, I uh, uh, agree with Dax that uh, Demetrius Andre needed to make a statement um, but where I disagree is I, I don't see the lack of big paychecks and his promotional. I, I, I blame his promotion for not trying to get him the fights. And I think that they are hard to deal with because they they out they actually outprice Andre, um, uh, you know, from these fights, not necessarily giving Andre the big paychecks. But um, I, right. I think that has something to do with my question to you is should the lack of being paid deter a fighter from from stepping up a performance? I mean, I, I would think it would be the opposite. I, I agree with Dax that I thought that Demetrius Andre needed to make a statement. This had to be a statement fight to show that Alantez Fox does not belong in the same ring uh, with uh, Demetrius Andre. And although he won a one-sided fight, it wasn't an exciting fight. He didn't make a clear statement, in my opinion, and I think he needed to uh, to just go out there and, and let his hands go. This might be something that he never does, regardless of his opponent. What's your thoughts? I think you're right, Bill. I, I mean, I expected more from Andre, and he did not impress me. And as you were suggesting, 
you know, you're the essence, the word fighter. You are a fighter. You, you, whether it's the, the bucking the system, whether it's doing whatever, you got to go out there to fight to win. You got to make an impression. You got to do it big. You got to do it what you can do to not only just, just get by. I think he had an opportunity, as Dak suggested, too. He had to make a statement. And I don't see the statement being made with this fight. And he had the opportunity, but he, I don't think he, he – maybe he just doesn't have it in him. I don't know. And you know what? We're now campaigning as a middleweight. I cannot picture him in the ring with some of the top-tier heavy, uh, middleweight contenders. I think he'll be carried out on a stretcher. Well, he's definitely not a guy that goes out there and seeks the knockout. You know, he's he's a pure boxer. He, yeah, he, he does have power, but uh, you know, he's a pure boxer. But as far as the thing, uh, what we're talking about in terms of the making a statement, yes, obviously that's if you knew your promoter was going to get you bigger fighters. Remember, this is the same people that dealt with Chris Algieri, and instead of you know maximizing Chris Algieri, what they did was they almost let Chris Algieri blow the biggest fight of his career against Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, because they were allowing him to do their own negotiation instead of sitting there grabbing him and saying, listen, kid, this is what we got to do. Win or lose, as long as you look good, we're going to keep you in that top area. Instead, what they do is they allow Chris Algieri to almost blow it by Chris Algieri uh, negotiating for himself. Why does a promoter allow the fighter to negotiate for himself? You know what? Because this is, in my opinion, this is a, a fighter, a guy who sit there and said, you know what? This is going to be the last big paycheck I get, and I got to maximize the most of this for myself. And what does uh, Joe DeGuardia do? Joe DeGuardia comes comes out and makes a statement to the press and he goes I can't believe Chris Algieri is doing this you know what Joe you should have been in there promote you should have been in there doing all the bargaining and got Chris the absolute biggest check that you possibly could and Chris should have been uh, concentrating on training and doing what the fighter's supposed to do uh, making sure he uh, makes weight and all those other things instead of this guy out here trying to see if he can get the biggest possible check he could you know so that, that that's frustrating especially when you're locked in a contract and you know that you know what star boxing even banner promotions it doesn't matter if you're a world champion it doesn't matter if you're pound for pound, if you're under their banner, they'll be more than happy to keep you on Friday night fights for your entire career. That's what they do. Well, it's like Geico. Uh, you know, it's what they do. But I, I, I think <laughs> my, my big question to Demetrius Andre is, why did you resign with them? He resigned with them. His contract was up, and he resigned with them. These guys did nothing for him. And the only reason why Banner got his claws in him is because uh, he, he beat his guy, and they had you know, that, that deal where, you know, he got a piece of him. So, uh, you know, Banner and, and Star are now, uh, you know, co-promoting, uh, you know, it, with each, with uh, Andre. It, it was stupid of Demetrius Andre to, to re-sign. You know, the guy's not getting the big fights. He's not making the money. Uh, so what do you do? You stay with the same team? No, you make changes. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, I agree with Sal 100%. You know, with the top middleweights, I, I think uh, Demetrius Andre should have stayed put in the junior middleweight division. Uh, he's not a big guy. Uh, he's stepping into to, to, to dangerous waters against those guys. I just think that he is going to be the next guy who fights uh, Murata. And, uh, you know, from that point on, uh, like Coach just said in the chat room, it's downhill from there. He just is yeah, not I physically agree. big enough or good enough 
uh, to compete strong, with all, powerful uh, enough. right? Look with all the with all those top middleweight. Bill, I agree. He could have stayed in the 154 pound division. There's a lot of fights there, but you know what? They weren't getting him those fights either. All those 154 pound champions and what's going on there, uh, the PBC fighters, they're not doing any business with them. You know, you can name any of uh, the either Charlo, but brother, that's what makes him think they get. What makes him think he's going to get the big? Well, yeah, but I don't understand why. I, I, the The bottom line is what the what what makes them think that he's going to get the other fights if he can't get those it, it seems to me this is more or less one of those things like i said with chris algeri that uh demetrius andre is making this decision on his own and if he can just get one of those big fights uh, a canelo let's just say or even a Murata, you know what it'd be more than what he's done made so far and you know what? if i'm gonna lose and i'm gonna lose big at least i might as well get one big paycheck for it because I've just been sitting on the shelf doing nothing. He's one of those guys that you walk up to me. I haven't seen him in a while. You sit and you say to yourself, you know what? Wow, you got dust all over you. You've been sitting there for so long. Speaking of Murata, what was your thoughts on the Murata Nadam fight? Well, um,. I was, you know, I was impressed with Murata. Um, I thought Andam was going to go in there and he was going to uh, box better. I thought in the le- in the first fight he actually uh, underestimated Murata, but I didn't see any of Nadam's footwork. Um, I really didn't see any of the angles uh, that we're used to seeing from him. Uh, Murata, he's not a... a, a uh, he's not a one-punch power guy, but I'll tell you what, he's a strong fighter. Uh, his punches are thudding, and he just keeps coming straight forward. He, uh, you know, he's kind of basic uh, with the fundamentals. You know, more or less, it's just a one-two and then a hook. You know, there's nothing really overly special about him. He doesn't seem to have anything that's going to surprise an opponent. But I'll tell you what, this guy, remember, he only has, what, 13 fights now or 14 fights. So in a couple more fights, as this guy starts to improve, he's really going to be a major player in the middleweight division. I really think that uh, we've seen a, a, a new player arrive in this division. And if he should be able to get into the mix with some of these other top names, uh, you know, it just makes that uh, division even more interesting as far as uh, Endom, I don't know. You know, Endom is a guy. He has a lot of miles on him. He's been around a long time. I, I mean, this is the first time he's ever been stopped, but we have seen him in a lot of fights take a lot of punches. Maybe that's catching up with him. Um, he's 34, 35 years old now. Who knows what's next for him? I still think that, um, you know, he's a talented fighter. But as for Murata, I want to see more of him. And the undercards over there, I don't know if you guys were able to stream any of those. I was able to see some of those cards. And uh, let me tell you something. Some of those guys on there, uh, Diaga Haiga and, um, of course, I thought he was going to uh, beat Mason, uh, the, the Danish fighter. But I'll tell you what, I would love to see uh, uh, Haiga against uh, Kazuto Ioka, the WBA champion. And those two guys are kind of similar to what you would say um, uh, Carlos Kudras or uh, Roman Gonzalez and uh, Sorong Visi is for that division above. Because there's a lot of talent over there. Uh, I wish we could actually get some more of these Japanese fighters on TV. I don't care if it even is 7 o'clock in the morning on ESPN. Because these guys bring it and these guys have a lot of ability. Everybody that comes out of that Taiken gym and those gyms surrounding, let me tell you, they bring it every single time. They don't leave anything behind at any point in time, and you get your money's worth no matter what. No doubt. Dax, we'll look forward to you later in the week, my man. I appreciate uh, your thoughts on the uh, fights, and uh, we'll be uh, chatting with you later on in the week. All right. Hey, one last thing before I go. Last night they had a marathon on ESPN of old George Foreman fights, oh, wow. um, have, have, and some uh, old Roberto Duran fights from the early seventies. Oh, wow. And they had one against Foreman against uh, Louis uh, Pras. Um, do you ever remember hearing George Foreman announce from Hayward, California? Not off the top of my head, no. 
Yeah, they introduced him from Hayward, California. And I, at first, I thought maybe it was a uh, a mistake or something. And then I was uh, doing some research, and, and then early in George's career, before uh, he became named, he used to spend a lot of time over there in California when he was younger. He actually wanted to be a football player, which is pretty common knowledge. But because he was over in uh, Hayward, California, uh, in California at that time, they just for some reason they announced him from Hayward, California. I had to listen to that two or three times. I was surprised. And wow. the other thing I noticed in that post fight. Everybody I hear you, Sal, and myself, a lot of us, we talk about um, these guys who beat their chest nowadays and they claim they're ready for everyone. George Foreman, who really was a mean fighter. When, when we talk about mean fighters, George really was a mean fighter. People don't understand because George didn't go out there and scream and yell. He was a mean fighter. One of the, the most, uh, actually, almost scary moments, George Foreman, when somebody asked him, I believe it was... Uh, I, I forget who it was at this point. Somebody said to him, George, what's going to happen when you lose? And George Foreman, he just got this deadpan face and looked at him. He said, lose? What are you talking about? And the reporter's going, when you... And he actually stopped in the middle of it. He's like, well, maybe I better not insinuate this guy may lose again. But uh, Foreman was so humble when they asked him if he was ready to fight Joe Frazier next. And George said, well, I don't really know if I am. He goes, I might be. I hope so. You know, I want to get better. But, uh, you know, right now, I'm not going to call anybody out. I'm in line to face a champion. You know, I had a pretty good performance tonight, but I'm not sure if I'm ready for that level. You know, he was so humble and, and so down to earth and we don't see that anymore and I think uh, a lot of these guys uh, maybe should look at some of these fights back then and see what a killer George was and how humble he could also be as well he did his talking in the ring not outside great you point. are so correct and I don't know Bill could I, could I expand a well, little I gotta bit take on a that, break no? guys I know you I know you you both okay. I, I gotta take a break Dax I appreciate <laughs> your time and uh, we'll talk to you guys uh, uh, in a little bit we'll be back in two Billy C will be right back part of the Billy C Boxing Network Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? back you're watching and listening to the billy c show glad you could be with us and uh i'm here with my man uh, sal and what were you going to say about george foreman sal you know george foreman when he came up and and a lot of our younger uh, audience probably will not recall or haven't seen those clips but yeah he had a very dark persona he wasn't a jubilant lovable Huggable big teddy bear George Foreman like he is today, doing grill commercials and everything else. I mean, he was a, he was a. I don't want to say nasty. He was, but he had like a. No, no, no. Of, he he yeah, was he was, he he was a, a nasty son like of a persona. bitch. I mean, he he went in there. He didn't pound his chest. He was humble, like Dak suggested. But he was nasty in the ring. He didn't like his opponents. He didn't like to do too much airtime on the press and everything else. Like I said, when Ali beat beat him. And uh, I think it was devastating to to have a loss like that from Muhammad Ali. And then he got, he went on and he f got defeated. What was it, Jimmy Ellis or Jimmy Young? One of them outboxed him and beat him too. And then he retired. I, I think he went like uh, uh, who was it? The 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 went and you know found religion, found himself, and uh, um, and he came back. 
10 years later, maybe at the age of 40, just just big, powerful, jubilant, happy George Foreman with no pressure, nothing else to prove, and just wanted to come back and enjoy the game of fighting the way, you know, well, some of us grow to appreciate it. Yeah, but no, he, when he, he first came up after the flag waving of him winning that gold medal in the Olympics, he was a pretty nasty guy or dark persona. Yeah, Lovable. there's no no Lovable. doubt no doubt about that. He was uh, a nasty guy, and uh, people uh, he had that people were afraid of him. There's no question about that. And you know the other thing too is you're right when he lost to uh, Jimmy Young, he he went in that hiatus, and then when he came back. He had learned to be more of a showman, and that's when he was yes. eating the cheeseburgers yes. and he made all that money, and, and he kind of ripped the page out of Ali, and uh, the success uh, was there, uh, no doubt. And, you know, love, one last love. thing I want to mention, forget about uh, George Foreman, but one thing I want to mention, I, I, I'm sorry, but there's no way that I'm going to buy into what Dax was saying about uh, Demetrius Andrade. I, you know, it is what it is. You know, you know, when the bell rings, you fight your style. It has nothing to do with who your promoter is, who your manager is, who, who, what kind of paychecks you're getting. Um, this guy, if he gets a $100 million paycheck, he's still going to fight the way he fights, and that's the end of that. Unfortunately, it's not exciting. People aren't demanding to see him, even though he's an extremely talented fighter. That I do agree with uh, Dax 100%. I, I love Demetrius Andrade. He's very fast. He's accurate. He just does not let his hands go. It's a habit that he's developed. And it's been too long. I also believe that he hasn't fought enough. And that is uh, indicative of his poor choice uh, in promoters. But uh, anyway, um, we had a trivia question uh, last week. And, and I'm actually going to give out the answer. I was, I was going to, but when we lost power, I never was able to. So um, I, it came real close. And, and actually, my man Coach came the closest. But the question was, what former pro boxer went to Hollywood and became uh, one of the Keystone Cops? And the answer is Tom Kennedy. And Tom Kennedy um, was uh, uh, a, a fighter who actually didn't have a, a bad record. Um, he was five wins and three losses uh, in his pro day, in his professional, but he also fought during the newspaper decisions and beat some of the heavyweights of the time. He fought in the early 1900s, like uh, Al Pazner and Carl Morris and Frank Moran. Those were big names uh, in the heavyweight uh, division uh, back then. Battling Levinsky, uh, Bombardier Bobby Wells. We did a, a blast on him one time. Uh, so, it, yeah, it, but he went on to be successful uh, as a um, Keystone cop. So congratulations to uh. no one. Uh, coach uh, came close, but I didn't want to tease everyone on that. But I'm going to ask the question that nobody got again. And if you're the first one to email me the correct answer, you're going to win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. This is a tough one, uh, and it's uh, I'm going to give you some hints. Which boxer was a long-time sparring partner for one heavyweight champ knocked him down, the, the, the sparring partner that he was in with, in sparring, and then had a victory over another one-time heavyweight champion. Now, uh, the hints I'm going to give you is this guy uh, was a, the, the heavyweight champion that he sparred with was a heavyweight champion prior to 1970. He was a heavyweight 
prior heavyweight champion prior to 1970. And I'll also sprinkle in that he's an extremely uh, well-known heavyweight. And the other heavyweight that was a one-time champion was also well-known but virtually forgotten today and is definitely forgotten, and this is a big hint, in other weight classes that he dominated. So if you're the first one to email me the corrector, which boxer was a longtime sparring partner for one heavyweight champ, which he knocked him down in sparring, and then had a victory over another one-time heavyweight champion, you'll win your very own uh, copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. Uh, email me the correct answer, Billy at Talking Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. This is a tough one, Sal. Yeah, it is. I, I, I'm trying to think of before. I'd almost say it was, it was Jerry Quarry, but it, maybe Jerry Quarry wasn't even. Um, I mean, this is before 1970. Well, Jerry Quarry know. fought before 1970, but he also fought well after it. But uh, yeah, he did. Uh, yeah. But but the other guy, the other hint was was big. But let's 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 stop it now. Let's, we don't want to give the answer because uh, I know we got I know we for, got I'm a very for the ring. I'm yeah, well, I know we ring. got. I know we got a very smart uh, boxing audience, uh, so uh, for the most part, so uh, I'm sure they'll get it with all those hints. But anyway, on this sure. day in boxing history, uh, October 23rd, uh, in 1999, Marcus Beyer wins a 12-round decision over Richie Woodall uh, to win the WBC World Super Middleweight title, and that took place in England. On this day in 1962, Dick Tiger wins a 15-round decision over Gene Fulmer, to win the uh, world middleweight title took place in San Francisco. Remember, Gene Fulmer, um, he had fought prior to this fight. He had fought um, Benny Kid Perrette. And obviously, Benny Kid Perrette's, it's one of our revisited that Sal and I did. And Benny Kid Perrette, uh, in his next fight after fighting Gene Fulmer, uh, fought Emil Griffith and passed away after that fight. Gene Fulmer fought Dick Tiger three times in a row after his fight with Benny Kid Perrette and never was the same fighter after the Benny Kid Perrette. That fight between Gene Fulmer and Benny Kid Perrette uh, changed both of those fighters uh, yeah. forever. Uh, and, sure. and wait till you guys watch it on, uh, uh, on the networks. AMG TV, I'll have you the uh, uh, schedule for uh, satellite and terrestrial television. Uh, coming up uh, this week. So, on this day in 1987, Sumba Kalembe uh, wins a uh, Sumba Sumbu wins a uh, 12 round decision over Iran the Blade Barkley to win the vacant WBA World Middleweight title, and that took place in Italy. Talk about big middleweights. Iran was a, a monstrous middleweight. On this day in 1931, Lou Broliard wins a 15 round decision over Young. Not to be confused with old, young Jack Thompson to win the World Welterweight title. That took place in Boston. On this day in 1993, Junior Jones wins a 12-round decision over Alicia Julio uh, to win the WBA Bantamweight title. It took place in Atlantic City, New Jersey. And finally, on this day in 1890, George Little Chocolate Dixon knocks out Johnny Murphy in the 40th round to retain his World Featherweight title uh, at the Gladstone Club in uh uh, Providence, Rhode Island. Boys and girls, wow. ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, this is not like the bare-knuckle days when they fought 40 and 50 rounds when one round was determined by when the guy hit the canvas. This was three-minute rounds. These guys fought for over two hours, 40th round. Are you Unbelievable. kidding me? Unbelievable. I was going to say it had to be when either they got dropped 
that was the end of a round. But no, this is this is a three minute round and, and, times forty. And and not only that, but back in those times when you went back to your corner uh, to get water, uh, they were in glass bottles and they weren't very cold. Uh, especially some other fights that were outdoors. That, that uh, that's over. Two-hour fight. I know. It's over two hours of actual fighting. Unbelievable. Actual Unbelievable. fighting. With yeah. the minute in between, it was a two-hour and then uh, forget about it. Two-hour, 40-minute fight. Yeah, it's almost three hours of fight. Talk about, talk about the, kid, the kids of today wouldn't, would not would have lost interest probably after the 15th. But anyway. It, hey, it was a three-hour fight. It definitely was. Hey, listen. Don't forget, this week's blast from the past is the one we didn't get a chance to do last week. Edwin, Edwin Valerio. I know he hasn't uh, been gone that long. Uh, but it was a request, so make sure you tune in Wednesday for that. Hey, listen, uh, all I can say is this. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning. Same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, ciao, baby.